If you have your Bible, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 3. We can do two again, but. If you weren't with us last week, we looked as we finished out chapter 2 of Ephesians at the oneness we have in Christ Jesus, that he has called us together uh, to a salvation that does not simply involve us as individuals, but us collectively as a church, that God has, has brought us together as a body, he has brought us together to make us one. This week, as we go into chapter 3, and as we are thinking about missions and we are thinking about uh, what we've heard this morning and what we have ahead of us, I, I want us to think about the fact that God has called us to dedicate ourselves to other people. Paul, in this passage, specifically dedicates himself to a people. He realizes that he has been called by God to reach out to a people. And the people that God has called him to are the least likely of all the people in the world that he would have ever went to if he had not been called by God. I think you and I this morning could picture in our minds people who we would never dedicate ourselves to. Who we would have no natural love for, and as a matter of fact, who we would have very natural animosity toward. And yet that's the very people that God calls Paul. To preach the gospel to. And I want us to look at that this morning. If you are able, I invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's word in Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach the Gentile, to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, 
so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. You may be seated. My hope is that this morning the Lord will add to the reading and the hearing of his word. I want us to think this morning about dedicating ourselves to a people to reveal the mystery of the gospel. What do I mean by that? I mean, I want us to think about our purpose in God calling us to himself. We lay that out in a variety of different ways. We might at times call it the Great Commission. We might at times call it mission work. We might at times call it evangelism or outreach. But in its essence, what God has called us to do is to dedicate ourselves to a people so that we might, by doing so, reveal the mystery of the gospel to them. It's the purpose of people moving from the United States to a place where 1 to 3 percent of the people are evangelical. The number that always strikes me most when I hear David talk about Austria and Europe is the fact that of the 800 million people, 400 million have never opened a Bible. To put that into perspective, there are just a little over 300 million people in the United States. It would be as if no one in our country had ever opened God's Word. With that being the reality, and with the fact that there are countless millions in our own country who do not know Christ, Our God has called us to dedicate ourselves to people. And we dedicate ourselves to them not just for the benefit of their physical life. We do not do so just to make their physical condition better by helping them with finances or with food or with clothing. But we do so to reveal to them the mystery of the gospel. I want us to look first in these first four verses at at what Paul is made by God. What God makes him as this process starts. He says first in verse 1 that he is a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He realizes that God has saved him for what purpose? So that he won't go to hell? That's not what he says. So that he'll be a better person? That's not what he says. So that he'll stop persecuting the church? That's not what he says right here. He says, I have been made a prisoner of Christ. I have been saved by him on your behalf. Before Paul, the message of the gospel was not going to the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, for 
many of the Jews, it was simply not a priority. And yet here, God calls the most Jewish person you could find, the Pharisee of Pharisees, Paul, and he makes him the missionary to the Gentiles. He says, secondly, in verse 2, you, that I am a steward, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. What does it mean that he's given this stewardship? What it means is it becomes his responsibility. It is his responsibility to take this message of grace, which has seemingly been for the Jews, and take it to the Gentiles. It became his responsibility. What's interesting about that is as we look through the New Testament, we find that God constantly puts the responsibility for the message of the gospel on His church. He doesn't put it on preachers. He doesn't put it on deacons. He doesn't put it on Sunday school teachers. He takes this message, He takes this mystery, and He says, you church are the stewards of this gospel. It is our responsibility to tell people the good news. I don't know why God did that. We obviously don't seem to be the best choice most of the time. It, it seems like maybe it could have been better if he had sent angels to do it, and each person who was saved was visited by an angel. Maybe that would have been more dramatic. Maybe it would have been more impressive. But that's not what he does. He places the responsibility on us. Paul is a prisoner. Paul is a steward. Look in verse 3. Paul is given wisdom. He says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Verse 3. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. Think about how Paul was saved. He wasn't saved because somebody came up to him and they put their arm around him and they told him, buddy, I think you need to get your life right. Let me show you how that happens. Paul's salvation was radical. It was amazing. He is walking on this road and Jesus appears to him personally. And he imparts upon him the wisdom of the gospel. God calls him specifically to the Gentiles. He cannot get away from it. The way he was when he was saved, he would like nothing better than to run from the Gentiles and stay away from them and let them continue on their path to hell. But God gives him wisdom as to what is going on and his purpose and his plan. Look, fourthly, in verse 4, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Not only is he given wisdom... Not only is he given the knowledge, but Paul has the insight to understand this mystery and to understand that the gospel is so much bigger than one group of people. It's so much larger than just the Jews. 
it's interesting because so often there are so many things that separate us from sharing the love of Christ with other people. We, we let skin color separate us. We let financial status separate us. We let location separate us. It's, it's too far. It's too far. I can't go. I, I don't like those people. I don't trust them. I don't speak their language. We, we let all that become a barrier. And yet, Paul here says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. He says in verse 5, this mystery was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, but it has been revealed. The Spirit has revealed it to the apostles and the prophets. And what is it? What is this mystery? He says in verse 6, the mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. See, Paul would have been very comfortable taking his time and sharing the gospel with the Jews. Read through Romans. He loved the Jewish people. He loved his people. See, it's easy for us to love people who are like us. It's easy for us to love the people who look like us and act like us and share a common language and have the same skin color and have a similar morality. We can love those people easily. It's no problem. But he says, the insight that I gain, which was not to people long ago, but it has been revealed to us, is that the Gentiles, those who are different than we are, not just a little bit different, those who are the most different from us, have been made fellow heirs. Not only that, look further in the verse, they have been made members of the same body. There is not much of a bigger divide than I can think about than that between Jew and Gentile. Between those who were the children of God, who God had called out of the pagan lands, who He had called from, from their idol worship, and He had called them to Himself. And then there was everybody else. And Paul, Paul realizes that they are all part of the same body. At the end of that verse, he says, they are all partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. It comes to him. He realizes it because God tells him so that these people who are so different than he is, these people who are far from God, these people who do not know who God is, they have never heard his name. The percentage was a lot less than 1 to 3%. The percentage was a lot worse than 50% who have never opened a Bible. He says, these are the people who have rejected God from the beginning. And he says, it has become clear to me that they are fellow heirs, part of the same body and partakers of the promise of the gospel. Now, why does that matter? 
Why do you care? As a matter of fact, you're all a bunch of Gentiles. So, what? Why do you care about that? Because unfortunately, we as the church so often have set up a new divide. We have made a new class of people. Not the one that God has made where he has made us his family, where he has made us a holy race. But we have us and then those people. And those people come in all shapes and colors and sizes. And we have set them apart. We don't see them as potential heirs. We don't see them as potentially part of the same body. We don't see them as potential partakers in the gospel. But they're out there. It would be easy to do that with people in Europe. We could say, well, they've had their chance. They had the Reformation. In four years on Halloween, October 31st, 2017, it will have been 500 years since Martin Luther, the German monk, went and he nailed these 95 complaints with the church on the door of the church in Wittenberg, and it started a firestorm. You, whether you realize it or not, are sitting here today because that man took a hammer and a nail and put paper on a door in Germany. They had their chance, right? They blew it. It's easy for us to look at that. It's easy for us to look at the people in China and go, well, they're just a bunch of communists. They brought it on themselves. They allowed this communist revolution and they brought this closed nature on themselves. They're only a bunch of Buddhists or atheists anyways. What does it matter? They had their chance. And yet Paul, who may very well have had that attitude to start with, realized that God had called him to dedicate his life to become a slave for Christ for these people. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 13, which we'll get to in a minute, but I'll make reference of it now. He says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Not only is he a prisoner to Christ for the Gentiles, but he suffers mightily for that dedication. He suffers physically. He suffers financially. He suffers shipwreck and imprisonment and death for these people. Because what he realized is what they needed most was the gospel. So I ask you two questions for the rest of these verses. First, how do we dedicate ourselves to a people? How do you this morning begin to dedicate yourself to the work of the gospel? How do you dedicate yourself to winning people to Christ? We do what Paul does. Look first in verse 7. He says, of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. The first way that we dedicate ourselves to people is to do so through grace. We do so because we have been given grace. We do so because they may be given grace. Because God wants to show them grace. See, we can't do this on our own. 
It has to be first about what he has done. It has to be primarily about what he has done for us. We are unable to dedicate ourselves to a people on our own. Think about it. It makes perfect sense. What is our natural desire? It's to dedicate ourselves to us. My desire in my heart is to dedicate myself completely to me. Maybe on a good day, my desire becomes to dedicate myself to my family. But at my core and at your core is the desire to dedicate your heart to you. It's how we spend our money. It's how we spend our time. We grab hold of what is important to us. And we stick with it. We work on it. We strive for it. Paul says, the way I dedicated myself to you, the way I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, that is how I was made a minister to you. We do so through grace. Secondly, we do so through the working of His power. See what he says in the second part of verse 7, which was given me by the working of His power. Paul is able to dedicate his life to these people who are dying and perishing because God has given him power and because God has used his power to reach out to these people who are lost. If you go back to the book of Acts and you see where this fellow named Saul is walking on the road to Damascus and God appears to him, Christ comes to him, That was not an event that happened often. That was not an event that was without power. Some of us think about the time that we were saved. We walked an aisle at a church. We came and maybe prayed with a preacher or with our Sunday school teacher or with our parents. And, and we see that event and maybe we don't attribute much power to it. But there was a lot there. The power of our Salvation, the power when God saved us. Think about when God saved this man. He could realize without a shadow of a doubt that God's power was at work. If you and I want to reach people, we will do so in the power of Christ. If we try to do it on our own, it's not going to work out real well. I've got a feeling that those of us who are leaving this afternoon are going to have to get a really good taste of that this week. Because there has been time after time this past week where I thought, we need to just throw in the towel. We, this, is, this is not going to work. But yet what we have to realize is to reach people, we do so in God's power. Thirdly, look at verse 9. He said, verse, verse 8, to, to me, though I was the very least of all the saints... This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was given the grace to preach. And look what he says in verse 9. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. How do we dedicate ourselves to people? We strive to bring to light the things of God. 
in everything that we do, in our waking up and in our going to bed and everything in between, we strive to bring to light the things of God. How many times have you been with one of your coworkers and they have been talking about the, the bad day that they're having or they're talking about this trial that they're going through or they're talking about this difficulty that they're facing in their life and you said, well, I'll pray for you. And then kind of like the half of Europe who's never read their Bible, that's about our batting average for actually praying for people. If we're lucky. And I'm being nice because you're my people. But it's actually a lot lower than that. How many opportunities have we missed where we could begin to speak into someone's life and bring to light the things of God? where we could begin to talk to them and tell them what God is doing. We could begin to tell them what God's Word has said. We could begin to encourage them with what God has done in our life and the lives of others, and we pass it off. And if we do pray, we go later and we say, God, we, we ask that you would be with so-and-so in this difficult time. And God is shouting back in his word, I sent you for that moment. I sent you there for that moment. I want you to share with them what I have done. I want you to share with them what is happening in their life. For you to open up the scriptures and share with them where they can have hope. And we pass it off. If we want to dedicate ourselves to people, we do so through grace, we do so in His power, and we do so by bringing to light what God has done. Friends, if we pass that off, if we pass it off, we're missing an opportunity that we may never get again. That's the how, and here's the why. The last three verses, beginning in verse 11. Why do we dedicate ourselves to a people? Why do we send people to live in Europe or to live in Africa or Asia? Why do we have outreach as a church? Why do we go on mission trips? Why, have, why has God called you in the place that you work, in the place that you live, to share Christ with other people? Look, beginning with me in verse 11. He said all of these things about preaching and, and the grace that God's given him to do that. And he says, this, this is why, verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why did God call Paul to preach? Why did God save him on that road? Why did he do it? This verse tells us that he did so according to his eternal purpose. Do you realize that? If you've got the question, what, what does God want me to do with my life? What is God's purpose for my life? What is God's plan for my life? God has called us to share Him with other people. He has called us to be on mission for Him. He has called us to evangelize people and to reach out to people and to carry out the Great Commission in people's lives. He has called us for that. And He didn't just start that purpose on the day that you were born, but it is a purpose that is eternal. 
It stretches further back than you and I could ever imagine. And it goes as far forward as it takes for all those He wants to be saved. That is our eternal purpose. Your purpose in life is not to be a banker. It's not to be a school teacher. It's not to be a preacher. It's not even to go to church here. All of those things may flow out of your purpose, and that may be how God is working out your purpose. He may put you in that bank to share the gospel. He puts me here to preach the gospel. He puts you in a school to be a light in the darkness. But his purpose is for you to shed light on the eternal things of God, to share with others how they can know him, how they can live forever with him. He has you do that because these people that you encounter each and every day may very well be fellow heirs. They may be a part of the same body and they may be partakers of the gospel. It's his eternal purpose and that's why we dedicate ourselves to people. But look in verse 12. In whom... We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Why do we dedicate ourselves to people? Because a sign of what Christ has done in saving us is the boldness we have to share the gospel with others. Think about that for a second. If you go back into verse 11, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness. If we are a part of his eternal purpose, we have boldness. If we have been saved by God, we have boldness. We have the authority of God that stands behind us and says, Proclaim my message and I will move. The promise from Isaiah 55 that says, My word will not return void, but will accomplish everything that I have for it. It's a message like that is the reason we get on a van in a couple hours going to do maybe nothing. Going to a place where our schedule is uncertain. Literally, the people who had invited us to come and said it was okay to come have canceled. Trust me, we're sleeping on the floor of a church, so it's no vacation. It might be a break. But why do we go? It's because the message of God tells us that we can have boldness. That we can go and proclaim and God will work. And it gets all over me that God is going to work. And I've got no clue what he's going to do. I have no clue what we're going to do. But God will work and we must have boldness. And not only boldness, but the second thing is is odd. The second thing in this verse is is odd. Here's boldness, and you think it's going to be followed up with power. 
You know, you have boldness and you have power, but that's not what Paul says. Look at what he says. We have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Boldness, which seems to be so strong and powerful of a word, and then access. Let me promise you that access is the stronger word in the sentence. Let me promise you that the boldness is great. The boldness is for proclaiming. But why do we get to proclaim? Why do we get to have hope? Why do we get to be a joint heir? Why do we get to be part of the body and partake of the gospel? It's because we have access to God. We serve a God who is not far off. David's going to go to Austria, and many of them are Roman Catholic in name only. But even the most dedicated of Roman Catholics serve a God who is far off. You've got to go through a lot of channels to get to him. You've got to go to your priest, and you've got to work your way up, and that's how you get to God. If you go to China, if they have a God at all, He's a, at best a teacher who lived long ago and taught good things and has died and is in a grave somewhere. If you serve the God of Islam, you have a prophet who has long since died and a God who, again, is, as the video said, harsh and far off. As a matter of fact, if you're a Jew and you've rejected Christ, you, you still see God as impersonal and far off. But you and I have boldness. You and I are heirs and partakers because we have access. God is not far off. You don't have to come to me to talk to Him. You don't have to wonder and think and ponder what he has said. He has given it to us in his word. We have access with confidence through our faith in him. Why do we dedicate ourselves to a people? Why, why, do, we, why do we go and give our time on mission trips? Why do we put money in the offering plate? Why do we give our time at church to plan events and reach out to people? Why do we turn to our neighbor at work and tell them that we love them and tell them about the things of God? Why do we do that? Because we want them to have access as well. We want them to come boldly to the throne of grace. We want them to dedicate their lives to God. We want them to have confidence with faith. And friends, when we don't, we don't shed light on the things of God, when we don't share with others the things of the gospel, what we're saying is that we don't want others to have access. Why? Because God has purposed us to share with others. And that's why we dedicate ourselves to a people. Paul closes out this text in verse 13. I read it a moment ago. I'll read it again. He says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is for your glory. Paul suffered greatly. He suffered greatly for his ministry. 
He suffered much greater things than you and I probably will ever imagine. He suffered for them. He dedicated his life to those people. He gave up everything he had. He left his home. He risked death each and every day. He was stoned. He was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was eventually beheaded for those people. I guarantee you he would say, because he's saying it in this verse right here, and he would continue to say it to us today, that it was worth it all. He tells them not to lose heart. Don't look at what I'm suffering. Don't look at what is happening to me and give up. Don't think that it is not worth it because it is. Friends, you and I have the the responsibility to dedicate ourselves to a people. That people is people who are lost without Christ. It's not a specific ethnic group. It's not a specific place. It's not a specific language or a specific economic status. It's, it's to people who are lost. We go to China and Europe and Skippers, Virginia because people are lost. People need Christ. And we have been called to dedicate ourselves to them. Friends, some of you are here this morning. And you're the people that we are dedicating ourselves to. Some of you are here this morning and you don't know Christ. You've never trusted in Him. You've never turned from your sin and believed that He was what it took. You've never looked at the fact that we as human beings have fallen short of God's glory. We have sinned and disobeyed. But that God loves us. And He sent Christ to die in our place. Some of you are here this morning and that is you. You you are this, this people that we dedicate ourselves to. This message is dedicated to you. Wouldn't this morning, wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be a great day to say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. God, I have fallen short of your glory. God, I have not lived up to your standards, but I am thankful that you sent Christ and I trust in him. It's what he's called us all to. It's what he called Paul to on that road. Damascus. It's what he called me to as an 11-year-old boy at Vacation Bible School. It's what he has called so many in this room to, to repent and turn from our sin and follow him. Believe in him. Make him Savior and Lord and ruler of our life. I want to tell you it's a dangerous proposition. Because sometimes God calls us to go to the people that we hate the most. He calls us to go to the people that we can't stand. It's what we're saying when we give our life to Him. God, I will go. I will follow you. My life is no longer my own. Maybe that's you this morning. Maybe that's what God is saying. If it is, 
He's there waiting. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, we, we are grateful that you call us. God, you, you call us to follow you. You call us to, to be your children. You call us to be part of your body. God, let us realize that that, that calling is a calling to action. It's a calling to make your name known, to proclaim your goodness throughout our life. It's a calling to shine light on your things. And God, my prayer is that we would all take that seriously. God, there are some here who don't know you this morning. They've never put their trust in you. God, they've, they've never dedicated their life to you. They've, God, they've never pleaded for your forgiveness God my hope is that even in this hour God you would bring them to you you would call them to yourself you would save them from their sin and save them to a righteous life in Christ God work in this hour and this time we ask this in Christ's name Amen I'm going to ask you to stand if you would, and we're going to sing uh, a song. As we do, my hope and prayer for our church is that each and every person who is a part of our church would realize the calling that God has placed in your life to share His good news and make disciples. And you may say, Pastor, I don't know what that looks like. I've never done that. I don't know what, it, what, it's, what it's going to entail. That's fine. That's great. Matter of fact, it means you're a clean slate and I can pour right into your life. But that's what God has called us all to do. Not Dr. Michael. Not just our deacons or our Sunday school teacher. But each and every one of us are called to be obedient to Him. My hope during this time of invitation is that we would commit our hearts to that. That we would commit our hearts to whatever it takes Whatever God has us to do, God will bless when we listen. We'll be obedient this morning as we sing.